0: You are live with the App Show. I'm Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Our program is all about the world of apps for your smartphone, your TV, your car. Apps are pretty well everywhere. We also talk about the latest in uh, mobile tech. On today's program, we're gonna be chatting about a Twitter alternative. With all the craziness happening in the Twitterverse, there's a lot of people migrating to uh, a service, a social network called Mastodon. It's kind of like a a Twitter lookalike but different.
1: Kind of, but not.
0: Yes, it's probably the closest. It's thing definitely- Compared to like a Facebook or WhatsApp.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the closest to uh, what we know as Twitter.
0: Been around for years. Uh, so we'll tell you what it's all about and how it all works. We'll also be talking about a social, or sorry, a search engine for your life. There's a, an app that you can load on your computer that will basically record everything that happens. Everything you watch, every Slack or email message you view, every web page you check out, it indexes all of that. So you can actually go and search that a day later, a week later, months later. I wonder how much room that's gonna take on the hard drive.
1: You might need a new hard drive.
0: Yeah, or maybe they're gonna put it in the cloud. We'll uh, give you the lowdown on that and how to start replacing your phone's passwords with pass keys. You'll wanna stay tuned for that too. Let's get into some of the news, uh, John. We talk a lot about Starlink, Uh, that's the SpaceX satellite network that uh, gives internet access, high speed internet access to literally anywhere in the world, up on a mountain, out in a desert, wherever you typically wouldn't have good internet access.
1: Yeah, and it's been a godsend for a lot of people in rural areas. It was deployed heavily in the Ukraine during the, the war that's happening right now. And it just gives people internet access, like you said, where they would never normally have it.
0: Well, uh, they have announced uh, a new version of it. Uh, A lot of uh, folks that I know that uh, have trailers and RVs, uh, if you go to like these RV parks, there is a surprising amount of people that have the Starlink antennas.
1: Yeah, because most RV parks have really crappy Wi-Fi.
0: Oh, it's horrendous. Well, they uh, are coming out with a new version that will work on moving vehicles, like cars and RVs. Uh, it's you know roughly I think 170 bucks a month for the internet access, um, but yeah, it's kind of like this flat antenna that sits on top of the vehicle.
1: Yeah, not this big thing that's going to slow down your RV. Yeah, catch birds. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, I'm uh, interested to see how that uh, all works. I think that's coming out in December, uh, but looks like they're also going to be implementing a data cap on residential customers. Uh, Users will have access to one terabyte of priority access each month under their fair use policy. But after that, it uh, slows down.
1: That's a pretty generous amount, though. Like, I know, like, the average consumer home internet is probably around the same. Yeah. So that's, you know, that seems reasonable. And it's going to be $0.25 per gigabyte if you go over. Not... Not crazy expensive no i mean you're already paying a premium to get it in the first place
0: well they say that 10 of their users exceed that one terabyte per yeah. month so 90 percent don't right those
1: are people that are streaming 24 7.
0: that's a lot of streaming that's a lot of streaming yeah. yeah yeah but i mean if you were downloading a lot of stuff yeah that would be a different story yeah like for our work uh, we work in media and sometimes we're downloading and uploading large video files yeah so that wouldn't be good for us.
1: No, but you're not going to necessarily be doing that from your RV. No.
0: Anyway, uh, looks like they're getting popular. <laughs> that's obviously uh, that's why they've had to come out with that. Not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, also in the uh, app world. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I talked about it on my, uh, my global BC Wednesday segment. You can go to the global BC website and check that out. LG is developing uh, some new stretchable screens and was it smooshable, smooshable. That's, that's the word of, the, of the week.
1: The technical term.
0: Yes. So this is kind of cool. It's, it's a new micro LED technology, not OLED, but micro LED doesn't need backlighting. Uh, and it's also super flexible. You can actually smoosh the screen. You can even stretch them as well. Uh, I think, um, you know, the example they showed was like from a, a 12 to a 14 inch screen.
1: I, I wonder if they could make a t-shirt out of this material. Well, oh, eventually, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, but at what cost, right? Well, yeah, ten thousand dollar
0: T-shirt, <laughs> exactly. But the durability on that is fantastic. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm so fascinated over the next ten years, just all the applications of these, uh, the screen technology that's happening. You know, we've seen curved screens. LG's got a, a monitor that can go from curved to straight, like a straight, screen. flat, flat, yeah. That was the word I was looking for. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, having these folding smooshable screens. Yeah. I mean, being able to wrap those around anything. Amazing.
1: Yeah. How long until we see a car wrapped with this stuff?
0: Well, we saw something similar down in Vegas uh, last year.
1: That was BMW with basically an e-ink display.
0: Yeah. On one of their SUVs.
1: Yeah. Which was very cool. Yeah. Just not practical.
0: No. Like how durable again is that? Yeah. And how expensive is that? Exactly. Well, I mean, as with any technology, the price comes down. Definitely. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, this was kind of a cool mobile technology, uh, autonomous fruit picking drones. You, you sent me this article. So, uh, a company called Tevil Aerobotics, uh, is trialing these drones on California farms that, uh, basically can go up into the orchard Let's say an apple tree, and scan the apples to see which ones are ready to be picked. And then they've got this little suction arm that goes out and sucks it on there, and then drops it into the the harvester.
1: It's it's a pretty cool little video uh, clip. Uh, you actually talked about this on Global, so definitely check out the video because uh, it's a really interesting use case for the farmer. Can just sit at their you know in their barn or whatever, send the drone out and check various parts of the field without actually having to go out to those places. I don't think this is going to replace actually picking all the fruit. I don't think it would scale that well. It would.
0: Well, it was weird. Like they, So they showed this harvester that, you know, it's like a little truck kind yeah. of thing where all the fruit gets dumped. Uh, and then the drones were on tethers to this right. thing. I guess so they don't escape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so the problem, John, is we know batteries, right? Yeah. You have drones. Like how long does that thing last? Not long. No.
1: Especially with this big suction... Vacuum system on it too. Oh, can you imagine to pull an apple? Yeah, off like a tree? how
0: long? Like how long can your drone last?
1: Maybe twenty-five, half an hour, a minute.
0: Like yeah, like how often would they have to be charging these? Batteries?
1: But if they're tethered, they could be indefinite.
0: Then oh, that's right. That's why they're tethered. Yeah, not so they don't escape. It's the electricity. (laughs) See, you're smart. I didn't even think that. Slave drones. (laughs) Slave drones. Okay, we are going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be chatting about Mastodon. The Twitter alternative? Well, we'll let you decide. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. We've been talking a lot about Twitter in our programs, whether it's here on the App Show or our sister show, Get Connected. On a daily basis now, since Elon's taken over, so much change is happening, and maybe rightfully so, they were losing money. Elon claims it was like $4 million a day. They've laid off thousands of employees. Our good friend uh, Cam Gordon. Twitter Canada. Twitter Canada. God rest his Twitter soul. Uh, He's, I guess, being moved on to greener pastures. Yep. Uh, Loved working with him. Uh, What are the alternatives? I get that question a lot and I think the first one that you know you mentioned was Mastodon which I hadn't wasn't really familiar with but you said it's been around for years
1: it has and I think the last time people had problems with some social media network I th- it might have might be around the time that Trumpism started and he got banned and stuff that. people were looking for alternatives and hence we got Parler and True social and a few other different things, but Mastodon was one of the things that they were looking to use because it is essentially a decentralized service.
0: And so we talk about things that are decentralized, yeah. explain that.
1: So with Twitter, there's, they have their headquarters in San Francisco and data centers probably around the world. It's all managed by Twitter. Yes. So you don't have to worry about...
0: The buck stops with them.
1: Exactly but they're also the people that are being blamed for things like uh, free speech and moderation and all this type of stuff that was the reason why Elon wanted to buy Twitter was to make some changes to those processes. What Mastodon is, is it's essentially a a service that can be run on any computer uh, around the world. You probably wouldn't want to run it yourself, but there's a lot of servers that are running Mastodon. And then you join that server uh, and you create your account So let's just say we have a get connected Mastodon server. You would be Mike at get connected Mastodon and that we, you basically have all of your own um, uh, conversations that can happen there. It's like a, it's very similar to Twitter in a lot of ways. There's, there's replies, there's mentions, favorites, that kind of stuff. But, what makes it different is that all of these little instances, as they're called, these little separate servers that are running Mastodon, can talk to each other. It's called federation. So all it doesn't really matter what server you're on. You can still see somebody else's server, as long as it's a public server. And you can interact with those people across the networks. So the way I look at this, this is kind of like what Twitter started out as. and the solution that Twitter was originally set up to fix is federating all these different th- services into one place. So you, so the end user doesn't actually have to know about or care about the fact that there's servers involved and things like that. But the problem with Twitter is that there can only be one Mike Agarbo on Twitter, Yeah. right? There's variations on that account um, that you can create, but there's only really one Mike Agarbo. With Mastodon, you can be the Mike Eggerbo on one server, but I can be the Mike Eggerbo on another server. Is that good though? It's not good. No. No, it's it's hard to prove who's who in the zoo, as they say, um, because of that fact.
0: So how do you moderate that? Like, how do you keep control of it? You, you don't. don't.
1: You don't. So one of the things that's happened uh, in the last little while is people have set up uh, federated verification services and this is something that pre-elon twitter verification basically meant that uh, you were either a public figure a celebrity a sports star someone in the media like like us uh, and you wanted to prove that you're actually who you are so that when you're talking on twitter people know that's actually mike agarbo on twitter right? And you had to do things like send some credentials to Twitter. You had to send your um, copy of your passport or your driver's license to prove that you're really Mike. And they would verify you based on that manually on Mastodon. There's no easy way of doing that. It's still a manual process and all they're doing is cross-referencing the fact that you were actually verified on Twitter pre Twitter blue, that you're actually a verified user on that space. doesn't really mean anything though, because, there's lots of ways of faking that. Um, but the point being is people were looking for somewhere else to go and have these conversations that they wanted to. One of the interesting things about Mastodon is that it is set up in such a way that kind of like you know, like on Facebook groups, you're gonna go find a, you know, uh, a specific group of like-minded people to talk about a topic. Mastodon's very similar in the sense that you're gonna find a server that is filled with people talking about the kind of things that you wanna talk about. The difference is with Twitter though, is Twitter was always meant to be like the town square where all kinds of different people could meet and talk about one topic, regardless of whether it's in their lane, so to speak, right? You would have uh, sports people talking about politics and politicians talking about entertainment news. Like it didn't really matter. Whereas on Mastodon, you kind of start off on a server that is sort of based around a topic of interest doesn't have to be, though. Um, but then you're sort of looking at a very... very much like a like a Facebook group kind of conversation until you get the federated view of the world, but then it becomes the, this... Big, it, it sounds confusing, John. It is very confusing. And this is why I'm still not convinced that Mastodon, as it currently is, is going to be the wholesale replacement for Twitter.
0: Well, you, I keep reading news stories, John, that people are flocking to Mastodon. But let's... I want to just... Put a grain of salt in there. Twitter, they have close to 400 400 million users.
1: Well, they did. I don't know if that number is still accurate.
0: Let's just use that as an example. Let's say at some point in time in the past year, it was 400 million. What's 10% of 400 million? 40 million? What's 1% of 400 million? 4 million? Yeah. Well, Mastodon, I think they've added a lot. But they've gone from a quarter of a million, a quarter of a million yeah. subscribers to I think over six hundred thousand. So that's less than a million. They're not even hitting at one percent of the audience that Twitter has.
1: Well, I think it would depend on how they're creating those metrics because the latest, latest numbers I saw was well over a million just on one server alone.
0: Okay, but when you're comparing, okay, I'll give them a million. Yeah, but when you're comparing that to four hundred million. Yeah. It's it's an empty town.
1: Well, the, the biggest thing that, and the reason why I want us to talk about this is that I saw a lot of people on my Facebook feed. I don't know how to do Mastodon. Twitter was easy. You sign up, you have an account, you can see, you can start following people. I have to know a lot more about a person as to, I need to know their username and the server that they're on for Mastodon. Now, in a lot of time, a lot of cases, that's simply a matter of them posting a link on their Twitter, which is what I did. I posted a link. Here's where I'm going to be on Mastodon. Come find me there if you want. I don't really use Twitter that often anymore either. So I don't know how much I'm going to use Mastodon.
0: <laughs> you got to use Twitter to find people on Mastodon. That's kind of
1: right. it, goofy. It just, it just gets really kind of murky. And it's it's not the thing the average person's going to really understand without some kind of help. And
0: so normal people aren't going to. Be using it. I don't think so. No. No.
1: I mean, there'll be there'll be people that'll be trying to make it a thing. The big thing about Mastodon and the difference between it and Twitter is that there's no advertising. No one owns it. It's an open source project. Yeah. Uh it's decentralized, which means there's no one person controlling it. The per- there might be people controlling the server that you're on if you've got an account on it, and you can just change servers at any time if you don't like what's being served on that particular server. But it's, it's still a, just a murky mess for the average person to figure out how to navigate these things, how to find their friends. There's a bunch of different tools I've seen pop up in the last week or so. Find your Twitter friends on Mastodon and there's like some tool that will go and, you know, you give them some keywords and they'll go try to find that connection. And it's already been broken because too many people have been trying to use it because it's not easy to find your friends. And I'm kind of looking at Mastodon as a chance to start fresh. Like I have a lot of people that I follow or a lot of people that follow me for very different reasons when I started Twitter than what I use Twitter for now. So not that I want to get rid of those people. I just, I don't know why we were even friends in the first place because it's been years and it's maybe it's because of a topic or a, a career that I was doing three careers ago. You know, that kind of thing. So it's a fresh start. But it really you really have to think about what do you want to get out of Twitter or Mastodon or whatever social media connection that service that you're using. Why are you using it in the first place? Are you using it to get news? Are you using it to stay in touch with people? Are you using it to find like minded individuals talking about a topic that you like that's not Facebook? Those kinds of things
0: It's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Anyway, I I hope that kind of opens it up for some of the listeners out there, but the only way to really experience it is just to go in and try try it, essentially. Got nothing to lose. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, what if there was a search engine for your life? Everything that you've ever read, seen, watched on your computer that you could actually search through a week later, a year later? Well, there's an app for that. You're listening to App Show here in the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with the App Show, Mike and John here. John, we are in such a digital age now. Everything is done through computers, uh, you know, and there are so many different messaging apps on my computer, uh, my email inbox, web pages. Sometimes I'm trying to find things that I thought about (laughs) or heard about, like, from yesterday or, you know, a few weeks ago. And it's hard because I don't always remember where it was.
1: Well, because nothing comes through the same place all the time. No. I send you text messages. I send you Slack messages. I send you emails.
0: Yes. And <laughs> and you're hoping I answer one of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Usually I have a certain level of confidence that you'll reply to a certain
0: <laughs> certain approach. It's a scaling level there. Well, what if there was a, an app that recorded everything that happened on your computer? I mean, this could be used for evil, but it could be a godsend for people to find things.
1: Well, this kind of sounds like a Black Mirror episode.
0: It, it does, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: where they had like the contact lenses that recorded everything. Yeah. This is essentially that episode in an app.
0: The app is called Rewind. Yes. And is it just macOS or is Windows?
1: I think it's just macOS because it does a couple interesting sort of things in the background, which we'll get to in a minute. But... um if you're already on a Mac, you probably have heard of Time Machine. Yes, which is the backup system. So you you plug in an external hard drive, and basically uh, the Mac will automatically backup everything that you're doing all the time. And then you have this kind of Time Machine interface to go back and look at. Okay, well that file I deleted last Wednesday that I wasn't supposed to delete, I can actually recover it because it's archived that way. Rewind does that, but takes it to the next level
0: with information that you're seeing or watching
1: everything that you're seeing everything that you're typing everything that you're um uh touching basically and what seems to be really powerful which is also why time machine is very powerful on a mac is that it has a search engine for it so you can actually the example they give in their demo video is really compelling if if you and i were in a zoom meeting and one of us is sharing the screen with a link to a document on that shared screen. This search engine in Rewind could actually find that.
0: And the hyperlink?
1: And the hyperlink. Get out. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like you said, I mean, this could be really bad (laughs) if you're doing something, say, on work time that's not supposed to be work time, (laughs) Yeah. and your boss was to see this. Um, But essentially, as long as you trust the computer that you're using, you have the ability to just hit record and it just records everything. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about how it works is that it doesn't do anything in the cloud, nothing leaves your computer. So this isn't gonna be hacked by anybody. And they use what they call officially mind-boggling compression. They- It would have to be, John. Yeah, because this everything's stored locally. And essentially it's almost like having a video of your computer usage except it's more interactive than that. Um, but they actually compress uh, the their raw recording data up to 3,750 times. So even the smallest hard drive can store years of recordings. Years. Yeah.
0: Not days, but years. Yeah. Because that was my first question. Like, that would add up. Yeah. So when you go to search something,
1: uh, what if it was a Zoom video? Like, can you watch the Zoom video? It seems like it, yeah. Because yeah. it's recording everything that is being displayed on your screen. Well, that'd
0: have to be crazy compression to, you, <laughs> to make that happen. Yeah,
1: I'm not saying that the playback will be HD.
0: But it's it must be doing OCR OCR as well, optical character recognition, to be able to see links in videos and text in videos.
1: Well, we've seen this with uh, iOS on the iPhone. You can actually like look at a photo and you can click on a phone number that was on the side of a van that you took a picture of and you can click that link and dial that number. Like, it's it's not incredibly new technology. It, they just found a way to integrate it into this app that seems to be really cool.
0: How much money do they want? Well, Is that the question?
1: Well, see, this is the thing. It's what they call early access, which means it's free for now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then when you get completely addicted to this.
1: Yeah, they just got $10 million in funding, though. So the, clearly there is a market for this. That people have invested in what's what's to, okay
0: but John what's to prevent Apple from just doing this nothing no
1: no and this this as they call them uh, was it Watson getting Watson yeah or no getting Sherlock yeah because uh, Sherlock was the app that uh, Apple sort of reproduced the functionality of and made it their own effectively killing the Sherlock app which I think is the spotlight yes so uh, yeah no nothing Um <laughs> Arguably it would be better if Apple did it because it would be at the system level then. But again, I think this might be something that Apple could uh, acquire um, and integrate. It seems like a great sort of extension of the time machine functionality to give you that, uh, the the ability to search through and see, well, where did John mention that article? Yeah. Uh, what, what service was it on? And it, it, the search engine that you get is actually a very clean, simple thing. And, What's really interesting about the search results that you get is you can actually filter it by app. So for example, if you know that, well, someone sent me a Slack message, I just can't remember what it was uh, or or, or who it was or whatever, but it was about Tesla or something like that. You can actually just filter it right down to Slack or any other app and then filter your search criteria. So
0: if it finds, I was looking for um, uh, Ford F-150, thing I was looking at. Uh, And maybe it was in my email. So if I search that, it'll give the search results. Can I just click right to that email?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But the thing is, you might get, if it's a commonly searched term uh, or a name you might get a ton of results for it, right? So yeah, because
0: what if I talked about it in Slack and I emailed stuff about it and I saw it on a web browser and I watched a video.
1: And you get hundreds of emails about it, yeah, like those kinds of things. You're still gonna have to wade through that kind of stuff, but at least you have some filtering ca- capabilities that you don't have with normal search tools.
0: Can you uh, filter by time, like date and stuff yeah. as well?
1: Yeah, it's almost like a you're scrubbing back and forth through the calendar. I'm gonna have to try this. Yeah. Well,
0: you you it, to, it, but it, like you are saying earlier, it could be scary, right?
1: Yeah, because it literally is recording everything you're doing. (sighs) Could this be hacked? Anything's possible, but it's unlikely. I do like the fact, though, that nothing's going out to the cloud, so that's less incentive. Yeah. Uh, Someone would have to know you're running this app, know so much about your computer to actually get to it, probably just physically have to get your computer uh, to really do anything with this. But it can literally show, you know, uh, (laughs) say you're buying Christmas presents for Alana, she could go in and go back to when you were shopping on Amazon and see your history.
0: Oh, that's not good. Yeah. But with he, great power comes great responsibility, John. That's right. Okay. We are going to have to take a break here on the app show. Still a little more tech to talk. When we come back, we're going to chat about uh, replacing your phone's passwords with pass keys. What are pass keys? We'll have to tune in back after this. You are back with the app show. Mike and John here. The one thing I hate about our digital lives now, John, is the sheer amount of passwords that I have to remember. And I know there are password managers and stuff, but I'm just too lazy to get into those. So I have like a lot of different passwords for all the different things I'm doing.
1: Yeah, well, and you should. You should have different passwords for everything you're doing.
0: Yeah, but it's it's
1: hard, John. It is. And the the thing is nowadays, we're using more complex passwords because if you have a simple dictionary word or you've added a couple of numbers to your password, which I'm pretty sure you do with all your passwords, yeah, um, the more complex it is, the less likely you are to remember it. So you're relying and, on- And it's a
0: problem, because I've tried to make them more complex and I forget them. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm writing them down somewhere, which kind of defeats the whole purpose.
1: Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that a lot of companies have been doing lately is something called passkeys. And there's a couple of different ways that this has been implemented. Uh, probably one of the first places that I saw it was on your Microsoft account. Microsoft gives you the ability to get into your account without a password now. Uh, it's using a pass key or a passcode, I think they call it. And essentially what it is, is you go to log in to say a Microsoft service, say Skype or something like that. And then it'll prompt you for a code that was sent to you however you set up that passcode
0: Via email or email by phone. Email or
1: text or you know whatever. you chose when you set it up in the first place. Um, And that is really great because that makes it very easy for you to get into it without having to remember that password. As long as you still have access to that device, which could be problematic, but for the most part, it's, it's much easier because you can have a much more secure way of getting into that service because it requires, but is that like two factor authentication. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways it is. Right. But because you're, you're, it's two physical factor authentication basically because you're using a secondary device to say it's you. That's right. To get in. Yeah. So you need to have access to that other device to get into your laptop, for example. Or if it's on your phone, you need your laptop to see that code. But uh, what Apple and Google have done uh, is, um, they've created something new called PassKeys. And each of them have sort of implemented it slightly differently, and this isn't something that's available on every website yet. But essentially, right now, if you were to use something like um, PayPal, eBay, the Kayak uh, travel app, those all support PassKeys. And what it does is it actually allows you to store this passcode in your iCloud on iOS. Google's got their own implementation of it that's coming for Android that probably is not gonna be quite ready for prime time till till towards the end of the year. But similar. But very similar. And essentially, kind of like, you know how uh, when you go to use uh, Apple Pay, you're prompted for identification. Yes. You're basically using your uh, biometric information to approve access to that app.
0: Like your face or your fingerprint.
1: Yeah, yeah. So then basically when you go in to create that account or you, go in to use an existing account, and you turn on the passkey function, you're gonna get basically this pop-up that has this little gray and white key icon on it. And that will be your passkey pass key prompt. And then it, it will ask you, can I use your saved passkey? And then you give it your um, either your face or your fingerprint or whatever verification system you have in place. And then basically, you're into the app. You haven't entered a password at all.
0: So that could be your banking app? Like you said, eBay, PayPal.
1: Yeah. I mean, not everybody's supporting this yet because this is... But it's the road that's going down. Yeah. This this basically came out on iOS uh, with iOS 16. So very recently. Um, And it's coming out uh, on uh, Android in pockets up until the end of the year, which it should be much more uh, widely uh, implemented across lots of different sites. But I think this is going to basically be the solution to two-factor authentication because a lot of times two-factor authentication can be spoofed or hacked. Again, uh, when I was talking about the Microsoft example, I can spoof your phone or I can log in and hack your email and I can, get, I can intercept those two-factor authentication things. I can't intercept your face ID or your fingerprint ID on the device that you're trying to log into. That's the, that's the difference. So that's why it's more secure. Not yet. <laughs> no,
0: well, yeah,
1: I mean, the, the thing is, there, there's, nothing is 100% foolproof. Yeah, but um, this
0: is kind of the, the new gold standard.
1: Well, it's, 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 what's nice about this particular solution is that it it, it's, it gives you back a little bit more of that convenience for logging in, but also still very secure. Because nothing is leaving your device. It's all locally on your device
0: so you don't have to use this if you don't want to you don't
1: you can still use a regular password although i could see some uh, companies or some apps preferring this process because they probably deal with a lot of
0: uh, hacks fraud all, all identity kinds theft, of messy yeah. stuff yeah. yeah
1: i could see this is something that the banks would adopt oh heck yeah once once the once the it's out there more and you know probably let's say early next year. I think it'll be a lot more prominent and we'll be talking about it again, I'm sure.
0: But this is happening on iPhones now.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, it's an option right yes. now. It's not Does that apartment. go
0: across to the Mac as well?
1: Uh yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the whole Apple ecosystem is being set up for it and Google is going to do the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, on on uh on and Android definitely by the end of this year.
0: Have you set it up yet?
1: You know, I don't think I have had to log into any of those services that support it yet. Okay. And I think what's going to happen is when you go to log into one of those apps that do support it, they're going to give you prompts. saying, hey, we've got this new thing. <laughs>
0: little friendly uh, nudge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Do you want to try this? And I, I put off like the Microsoft version of it for the longest time. Now that I have it, I can't imagine. I don't even know what my password is on Microsoft anymore because I'd never have to use it. I don't
0: it. either. I always have to say, forget. I forgot my password. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it is a major pain.
1: Yeah, especially because you're oh, you're always trying to do something quickly.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, like, I don't know if I have multiple passwords on the different Microsoft accounts because, you know, there's like the Windows one, there's Xbox, there's Skype.
1: Office 365.
0: Yeah, OneDrive, like, it's driving me crazy. Yeah. So this passkey thing seems to... Yeah. I yeah, think so. a magical, magical thing that I'm going to try out. So again, available on the Apple side, iOS 16 and uh, through the other Apple... Uh, pieces like the mac os as well and coming very very shortly for google
1: yeah yeah i think it i think it's 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 a like i said it's a good way to get rid of that hassle factor but still be secure you are tuned
0: into the app show we're gonna have to take a quick break here when we come back a little more tech to talk stay tuned you were back with the app show mike and john here do you remember sling boxes i do wasn't that back from the 90s wasn't it that far back
1: it's been a while. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, back then you, you could hook up your TV or your cable connection and it would record shows for you. And then you could watch those remotely. Yeah. This was like. That was like cloud ahead of cloud.
1: Yeah. And I remember when they first launched this, it wasn't even available in Canada. But I had a few friends that they got them from the States and they found workarounds to make it work in Canada. And I was very envious of it, but it was very expensive at the time.
0: Yeah, but I remember, like back in the Doppler computer days in the '90s, when I used to sell computers here in Vancouver, uh, this thing had been launched, and it was just magical. But it's coming to an end.
1: Yeah, these uh, these devices will no longer work. I
0: didn't even know they're still around, John.
1: Honestly, I didn't either. Um, but basically, this this past week, uh, they they went dark. Uh, the service is completely cloud based now. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, and that's the thing with technology, and a lot of these devices now are connected to the cloud. And we've talked about this. You just got to be careful what camp you're in. Like there's a lot of these exciting new technologies, but if they don't make it and they're gone within a year or two, that device is just bricked. It's a doorstop. yeah. Because the cloud service that it was attached to is dead.
1: Well, and, and this is something we've talked about before. Any any product or, or um, device that requires an app to configure you better hope that that company is around and is continuing to maintain that app. Because as we know, you're going to be forced to upgrade your operating system on your smartphone or your tablet or whatever at some point.
0: Yeah, and eventually that's going to break the app if it's not updated.
1: Right, which is why some people keep old versions of tablets or phones specifically for one app.
0: That's all the time we have left. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, Get Connected. You can find out more information about that at getconnectedmedia.com. It's uh, on the Chorus Radio Network as well and podcasts, just like the app show here. Also up on our website, uh, all our favorite YouTube videos that we create for uh, product reviews, tips and tricks, and all your techie needs. I want to thank John, my producer and co-host, and uh, the rest of the gang back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.